Welcome to Speak My Peace, the podcast that covers all things NBA on and off the court. And now, here's your host, Isaac Ansa. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 4, Speak My Peace. I am your host, Isaac Ansa, producer D-Lane plugged in on the beat. Well, well, well. Another week has came and went, and the excitement and intrigue continues to grow. Like I said in my first episode, the NBA is more than a game. It's the greatest show on television, hands down. The James Harden trade has us talking, tweeting, creating memes, yearning for more NBA action. The trade is obviously a blockbuster trade that the whole world is still buzzing about. It's like the equivalent of a blockbuster movie franchise like The Fast and the Furious. A blockbuster franchise adding a blockbuster star like The Rock. The Rock on steroids. Literally. Literally, The Rock on steroids. The NBA is now stronger. It's bigger. It's more powerful. Star power in every scene. The show that continues to breed excitement. And now we have a new big three. And how we love our big threes. They rarely disappoint. Don't always win titles. Don't always win titles. But rarely disappoint. Some of the best basketball you've ever seen have been watching big threes. If it's the 80s with Magic, Kareem, Worthy, Mikel, Bird, Parrish. Or if it's the new generation, LeBron, KD. Sorry, LeBron, Wade, Bosh, or Pierce, Garnett, Allen, KD, Steph, Clay, Parker, Ginobili, Duncan. Like, that was some of the best basketball you had ever seen in your life. So much excitement, so many memories. Now this new big three. We have lots of questions. So many questions. Who won the trade? Good trade. Bad trade. Can it work? Who gets the last shot? Who's going to defend? Where's Kyrie Irving? (laughs) Where's Kyrie Irving? All valid questions. And almost all of them will have to wait to see what happens. But two questions, to me, matter the most at the moment. Who won the trade? Well, one answer. Brooklyn. Brooklyn Nets won this trade. Players all over the place, new area codes, new houses, new teammates, new coaches, massive deal. Four teams, seven players, lots of draft picks, swapping. We don't have to get into all that. But again, we saw what separates the NBA from other sports. Star power. A franchise traded away what some folks say is way too much for a player like James Harden who just has a couple years left on his deal. Guys, I say Brooklyn got a steal. There's no price too great to acquire a Hall of Fame player in their prime. Period. If Brooklyn wins one title, one title, and instantly becomes a crappy team for the next 10 years, you would look back and say, oh man, that was a great trade. Man, the current Nets should do something like that. Be aggressive. Go for it. Try to win the title. On and off the court in the NBA. I'm going to repeat this. On and off the court in the NBA, aggression wins games. Shaq's dominance won games. LeBron's downhill style wins games, wins titles. Magic Johnson, 6'9", running down your throat, full speed ahead. 
one games, one titles. Michael Jordan's ultra competitiveness, one games, one titles. Aggressiveness separates winners from losers on and off the court. The Toronto Raptors trading for a disgruntled Kawhi Leonard. A disgruntled Kawhi Leonard we all knew wanted to go back to LA. Toronto was aggressive. They won an NBA championship, the first one. In Philly, we're still waiting for the process to kick in. It's like my old my old PC that just, just doesn't load up, you know? It just won't boot up. They, they took the long route. Look at them. We still don't think they're title contenders. Brooklyn had the guts to bet on Hall of Fame players to win games and to win a title. And now the title is theirs to win or lose. They can bond or break, destroy opponents, or disintegrate from within into a thousand pieces. Either way, the choice is theirs. The Brooklyn Nets were aggressive, and that aggression should yield an NBA championship. My second question revolves around one of my all-time favorites, Steve Nash. Is he the right guy for the job? I really hope so. Nothing would make me happier than to see a Canadian coach guide a team to glory. But my hopes and aspirations have no effect on the Nets franchise. <laughs> I wish it were so, but they don't. You all watched The Last Dance. Phil Jackson is known for being the Zen Master, more so than he's known for his X's and O's in the triangle. We saw how Phil had to manage the biggest, most iconic athlete in the world in Michael Jordan, manage one of the most complex personalities, Dennis Rodman, and manage a disgruntled superstar in Scottie Pippen. Managing included letting Rodman take a vacation in the middle of the season to party in Las Vegas. That was part of the managing of that Chicago Bulls team for them to win an NBA title. It's crazy, isn't it? Look, Steve has been on the job for five minutes. Now you're adding a new piece to the puzzle. And quite frankly, does this piece belong in the middle, on the edge? Is it the last piece of the puzzle? Is it the middle piece? Is it the, is it the second last piece? We don't know. Ultimately, Steve's ability to connect, grow, trust, and foster a we versus I mentality will ultimately determine the fate of this team. Steve Kerr juggled that puzzle well in Golden State. Dealing with Draymond wasn't easy, and he's still a handful, but he managed him. KD, he was very sensitive, but he managed him. Look at what Popovich did with the Spurs. You had Duncan, you had Ginobili, you had Parker. Listen, he managed those players. They bought in. At some points in their career, they were playing big minutes. Near the end, they weren't playing many minutes at all, but they still won titles. Every coach ain't a head coach. I'm sorry, but every coach ain't a head coach. Pressure on the players and lots of pressure on Nash. Can they come together? Steve, you wanted to be a head coach, man. You have a Rolls Royce, you have a Maserati, you have a Ferrari sitting on your parking lot. Which one are you driving to work? Which one's your old purpose car? Which one will be sitting there collecting dust? You have a tough task at hand. Us Canadians, we're rooting for you, man. Best of luck. Coming up, we'll dive into O Canada and I'll check in on some Canadians. And I have another guest after the break to help digest what's happening around the league. Stay with me. We'll be back in a few moments. Thank you. 
It's time for Oh Canada. You guys know the drill. In this segment, I'll be talking exclusively Canadian basketball. I'm determined to underscore each Canadian player in the league by season's end. It's important to acknowledge and support our own. Doesn't mean I won't criticize or call them out from time to time, but they definitely deserve to be recognized. All right, two players will be the topic of discussion. One definitely flies under the radar, while the other is pretty famous for several reasons. Let's start in Memphis. Dylan Brooks, the 24-year-old Mississauga, Ontario native, is a four-year pro out of the University of Oregon. A guy who shockingly goes unnoticed by the national media has impressed his employers enough to earn a three-year, $35 million extension last February. Here's a guy you can count on him. Night in, night out, gives you max effort at all times, provides energy and hustle, and gets himself involved offensively without having sets run for him. He has routinely guarded the other team's best player, all while having the mentality of a killer on the offensive end. Granted, granted, his shot selection can be questionable at times. Sometimes I find myself shaking my head, but no fear in him, which I absolutely love. He's coming off a year which he had career highs in almost every category. The Grizzlies just missed the playoffs, and if it wasn't for a COVID-interrupted season, they would have snuck in as the eighth seed. This year, he's at 16 points a night. He started every game. Look, if he can play within himself, I think he'll be a solid contributor for years to come. Do I see him turning into a perennial all-star at the moment? No. I see a solid player, a solid role player for the next 10 to 12 years. I think he could turn into a guy like a Trevor Ariza, a James Posey, a Rick Fox, a Bruce Bowen, a guy who can be a solid piece for a winning team, a difference maker in big games. Dylan Brooks, keep doing you. The young Grizzlies are a fun team to watch. The Grizzlies are currently ninth in the West right now. It is early in the season, but a playoff berth may be on the horizon. All right, let's talk about Tristan Thompson. Probably long overdue. This man needs no introduction. He's been in the spotlight for years and is famous for many reasons. Most notably, an NBA champ, but also known as partner to Khloe Kardashian, and a frequenter of nightclubs. But hey, <laughs> that's none of my business. So Thompson is now wearing the iconic green and white of Boston. Back on a winning team with title aspirations, the Celtics are starting Thompson at the moment. He's giving them seven points and eight rebounds a night. For not necessarily a legitimate rim protector as a center who's only 6'9", 6'10", Thompson switches out on the perimeter, plays ball handlers and the pick and roll coverage very well, when it comes to finishing a defensive possession, according to advanced stats, he's one of the best in the league. I generally don't use advanced stats often on the show, but in this case, the total rebound percentage, which is an estimate of total rebounds a player grabs while on the court, he's at 20%, which is seventh in the league. So he's just behind guys like Drummond and Rudy Gobert and Clinton Campella. He's off to a solid start, contributing and playing for a title contender. Currently, they're second in the East. We know he's not going to be hitting three-point shots or doing much ball handling. He's your traditional big man that gives you energy, rebounds, and solid defense. The story for Thompson will be about health and energy. If he has those two things, he will be a menace for opposing teams going forward.
Hey, are you in pain? I bet your back and knees are sore right now, aren't they? Do you want to get back to feeling good and being athletic again without pain? Then check out the Back to Basketball podcast. Our guests include athletes, medical professionals, trainers, and mindset coaches, focusing on empowerment, accountability, and consistency. Our mission is to transform the lives of past and present basketball players who struggle with injuries and pain by focusing on personal storytelling and community building. Our hope is to inspire change in mindset and a shift in the lifestyle and daily habits of people. We hope to help you completely turn your life around. You can find the Back to Basketball podcast on all social media platforms by searching back and the number two and basketball. Again, that's back, the number two and basketball, all one word. Your pain-free journey starts now. Welcome back. Well, for those of you who know me, you may remember once upon a time I was a decent ball player. And my next guest is the man who was responsible for those ball skills. This guest, him and I spent thousands of hours watching basketball, playing basketball, thousands of hours in the gym, working hard, dreaming of one day being NBA players. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but here we are talking about the game that we love. My next guest, Michael Ansa, my brother. Michael, how you doing, man? Hey, Isaac. Happy to be here. Big fan of the show. Your discussions remind me of the talks we used to have growing up, talking about Shaq, Kobe, T-Mac, Tim Duncan. Looking forward to bringing some of our <laughs> famous debates to your show. So, Mike, I wanted you on the show today to fill us in on what's happening in the NBA at the moment. Uh, obviously, there's so many things that we can be talking about, especially with the big trade that we're going to get into. But I was hoping that we could touch base on a lot of the other things happening around the association. There are dozens, dozens of other teams that aren't named the Lakers and Clippers and Nets. So we are going to dive into 10 pressing questions. But of course, I will start with the big news. James Harden trade. What are your thoughts? What does it mean for the NBA going forward? Well, Isaac, you and I spoke about it, you know, off, uh, you know, off air about, you know, I'm disappointed with what Houston was able to get with the James Harden trade. Um, I feel they should have gotten more, uh, particularly Joe Harris and uh, Kelly Subert. Getting four draft picks is great, uh, wonderful, but you and I know, especially with everything happened with Anthony Davis trade, replacing a once in a lifetime generational player is very difficult. You know, I'm happy for James Harden. Obviously, we saw that last game when he played against the Lakers. He was—he'd already emotionally checked out. But for Houston, I'm—I'm, I'm, you know, I throw caution right now. They uh, may regret not maximizing what they could have gotten. Because I really feel Brooklyn would have been willing to give up their some of their core pieces. So you know what, Mike? I—I I, I completely agree with you there, actually, because in my opener, I just talked about how Brooklyn got a steal. When you're getting a once-in-a-generational talent, uh, there's no price too big. So I agree with you there, absolutely. And just a quick note, I mean, James Harden just finished his first game with the Brooklyn Nets and triple-double. So um, clearly he's capable when he tries. Uh, the Nets won today and uh, James scored poured in 30 points and KD poured in 40. So um, the combination looks good. Off to a good start so far, 1-0. So let's get into it. Around the NBA with Michael Anza. Mike. Minnesota Timberwolves, Canada's unofficial home team before the emergence of the Toronto Raptors. 
had the number one pick, selected Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. Off to a slow start. What's going on in Minnesota? Good question. I think there are mold, multitude of things going on. Uh, the one thing is Anthony Edwards, in my opinion, has not lived up to the number one status, number one pick. Yeah, with that, I was expecting him to be more around averaging 17, 18 points a game. He's we're having around 12.5 points a game right now. You know, coming to college, explosive, NBA ready to body, and he can shoot, and I haven't seen that. So what this, I think that's one issue going on. Secondly, there's no power forward. Can you name me a person, uh, name me a power forward on that team? I think they have Ed Davis and some guy named Naz Reed. But I think that position right there um, is, is a area of concern for them. At, at Towns has played well, and uh, DeAndre Russell, when he's you know on the court, has played well. Uh, but the best third thing, honestly, has been Malik Beasley. And even with him saying so well, it's not working right now. So things that I need to address, you know, coming up for this team. I mean, Anthony Edwards, a lot of uh, a lot of potential there. I mean, there's glimpses of just a tremendous athleticism, but uh, he hasn't been able to put together a consistent string of basketball games where he's been able to put out a good scoring input. Uh, I just hope that they don't have another Andrew Wiggins situation <laughs> on their hands. So we'll see what happens in Minnesota. It's worth mentioning that um, Carl Anthony Downs has missed some games early on in the season. So we will see what happens going forward with that ball club. Let's uh, bounce over to Dallas. Dallas Mavericks off to a decent start. Luca's doing his thing. The big question though, many folks knew Luca would be in the MVP consideration, but do they have enough support around him to elevate and compete with the Lakers for an NBA championship? Well, as you know how much of a Luka Doncic fan I am right now. When LeBron retires, he'll be my number one player to follow. And for me, you know, being a LeBron fan, I also said Luka Doncic and Dallas have more than enough. LeBron's carried a couple of pebbles and a nickel to the NBA Finals. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they have Tim Hardaway Jr. We got Trey Burke. Josh Richardson, in my opinion, is a better pickup than uh, people, you know, could have originally managed. And Przingis hasn't played very much. Dallas has a top five offense. Defense is their issue right now. But I think Luka has the pedigree, the skill set to elevate them to the playoffs and make a, a decent run. Like last year in the playoffs, you saw his magic on display. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Dallas does this year. Another guy who's impressed me that we don't talk about a lot, especially after that last West Coast swing, is Zach Levine mm -hmm. and the Chicago Bulls. I mean, Zach Levine last year put up 25 points a night. I briefly talked about him with uh, Darcy last week. He went out West here and scored, what, 38 points against the Lakers, followed up against 45 points against the Clippers. Both games, they took the L, unfortunately. But what, um, you know, for, for our listeners who don't know much about Zach, is he a winning player? What can we expect out of Zach Levine and the Chicago Bulls? Zach Levine, like you alluded, has been phenomenal. He has put on incredible performances, especially against my loved Lakers. Um, I think Zach Levine, he's just putting things together right now. Jump shots going well. He's explosive. He's fully recovered from that early ACL tear a couple of years ago. I could be wrong if it was ACL or Achilles, but very, um, he looks like the player in Minnesota when Minnesota had to decide between Levine and Wiggins. Unfortunately, they won Wiggins and, you know, you've talked about uh, some of his struggles. <sighs> Winning player, I think he can be. 
the Bulls, in terms of their losses, lack discipline, turnovers, and they're just an inexperienced team. I think they need another another piece or two around Zach. Kobe White's a nice uh, piece. Valentine's a good core player. But you know who's struggle is Markin. Uh, he is not playing very well. Mm -hmm. I think he's injured right now, but he needs to step up because he has showed a lot of promises for his second year. And so this is year number three. So, you know, he's got some pieces. Is he winning player? You know, again, it's going to be challenging, but I think he can lead this team. Uh, the, the, the Bulls have some talent. Well, right now, Zach Levine, third in the NBA in scoring, just giving you a little bit over 28 points a night. Um, I'm, I, was been blow, I was blown away by his percentages. 49% from the field, 39% from the three, 28 points a game. I mean, that's big time numbers. Let's jump to Sacramento. Jump around the NBA to Sacramento. Luke Walton. Wow. He was highly sought after when he took over for Steve Kerr at Golden State. The team went on a tremendous win streak, took the Laker job, uh, didn't go too well back home in LA, got bounced out of that position, took over here in Sacramento, and he's had some ups and downs. Is Luke Watson on the hot seat this year? 110% believe he is on the hot yeah. seat. He's got the talent. Let's come on. Uh, buddy, he, he's, we signed Fox to a you know a max deal. They did lose Bodanovich, which I think is going to hurt them. But uh, they have a rookie named Halliburton, who's really talented. I've seen a couple of their games. They, the good thing is they're competitive. Uh, they did have a blowout loss recently to the Clippers by 30. But again, I think that's a uh, you know you know one didn't kind of uh, chalk up to just fatigue. But their team is talented. Uh, Walton is coached in Golden State, he's coached the Lakers, he's coached talent, and Sacramento has talent. Uh, I expect him to be an eighth seed at, at worst. So if, he, if their team is trending in the wrong direction, Isaac, I, I see a coaching change happening at the end of the year, or maybe by, you know, a mid-break mid for the season. Here's a guy who had the respect of Steph Curry, had the respect of Kevin Durant, had the respect of Klay Thompson, they won a lot of games when he was the head coach taking over for Steve Kerr. And now you have these new guys, Buddy Heed, Fox, Bagley. Apparently he wasn't getting along with Buddy Heed, but he mm -hmm. wasn't having coming off the bench. So the reason I pose this question is, is it the players or is it the coach? If he can get along with KD, Steph, and Clay, why can't these other guys buy in? So I'm really curious to what's happening in Sacramento. And it's I think it's something, it's a situation that we're definitely going to have to monitor. Will the organization stick behind Luke Walton? Or will they say, hey, you know what? You have first-round picks like Heed, Fox, Bagley, and you're not producing. Let's head out to Indiana. The Indiana Pacers, the past few years, they make the playoffs. We don't talk about them. Nobody really knows why they make the playoffs. They have Victor Oladipo. Well, sorry, they had Victor. But even when Victor doesn't play, they still win games. The Indiana Pacers right now, eight and four, they're the fourth seed in the East. What What's going on there? Like, how is this franchise winning games? And is this another year where they're going to have a, a quick exit from the first round or should we actually be paying attention to the Pacers? Great question. Indiana, I think it's time to say Indiana is the San Antonio Spurs of the East. Mm -hmm. They maximize talent, draft well, a lot of uh, 
kind of gems that we go to draft that we find out about midseason. Uh, Paul George is a, is a great example. Sabonis has been a revelation this year. You know, 20 plus points a game and 10 plus rebounds. Miles Turner's putting it together. We have to take it back to when Nate McMillan was there. Indiana was competitive. They just maximized talent. So again, is it a system thing? Is it an organizational thing? I think there's a lot of elements that uh, working together to make them to be able to be competitive. How do you I think feel about Malcolm Brogdon, well, I alluded to talking about him in our previous segment about Houston. I think Carol uh, Levert is a budding star, uh, all-star. Um, he's put up, I think, I think at least one forty-point game this year when giving the minutes. That's right. And um, I think Pacers got a steal with him. Uh, pair him with uh, Malcolm Brogdon, who's a 90, 50, and 40 guy. Mm-hmm. I think that Indiana has enough. Now, the question is, you and I always say, can they put it together in the playoffs? Because that's when you need your stars to shine. Will they have enough to get through regular season? Yes, without a doubt. I see Pacers being, you know, in between the four and six seed. Playoff time is going to be dependent on matchups right now. I know Brogdon's going to play well. Sabonis will probably play a while, but again, Karis LeVert, don't know. Miles Turner kind of struggling some of his playoff appearances. But Indiana, though, watch out for this team, though. And let's see what happens come trade deadline, what, it, what they're able to add. Uh, I think they're going to be a team to reckon with. Let's um, bounce over to Golden State. Steph Curry. I got a lot of flock uh, this past week about my take on Steph Curry not being a third-team All-NBA player. A lot of people sent me DMs and messages and so forth. I will say this, for the record, I love Steph. He's a fantastic player. I just don't think Golden State's going to win a lot of games this year. But what do you expect from Steph Curry this year now that he's essentially unleashed? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I think Steph Curry's going to finish top three in scoring. He still has a shooting touch. He moves well above the ball. Golden State looks for him in the early offense, especially him and Draymond Green still have that that chemistry. And... Um, you know what? I agree with you when it comes to Steph Curry. I think he's a very, very talented person. Player, is he third team? You know what? That's debatable. He flat out can ball, like Bradley Bill, like Zach Levine. He's going to be one of the top scorers this, uh, this season. And I'm excited to see, you know, what kind of heights he can reach. Will it be James Harden heights? I don't know, but I think he has James Harden type scoring in him. It's just a matter of how many shots you can take a game and, you know, what kind of offers it sets. For Golden State to be competitive, what do you think Steph Curry needs to average this year for them to be competitive? Because, I mean, the past few games, they do have trouble scoring points. Well, if we can take a sample of James Harden, when Houston was making the playoffs, he was over to average 25 plus points a game. The West is tough. I mean, I think Curry right now has to be in the high 20s to like mid 30s. Um, right now he's, he's sitting at 30 points a game, but I think he's going to have to up that to like least close to James Harding numbers where he's close to almost 33, 34 points a game, which he has it in him. We know Curry can get hot. We've seen what he can do in a quarter. So Mike, you and I were big fans of the 90s. Uh, grew up watching basketball in the 90s. And in the 90s, basketball was dominated by big men can a big man lead a team to the nba finals right now we still have joel Embiid, who's some people believe an early candidate for the mvp we have carl anthony town we have the joker in denver can a team 
win an NBA championship with the big man as their centerpiece? Mm. You know me, I love my Shaq, love Elijah One, Patrick Ewing, threw in the post, let him go to work. Um, those days, Isaac, I think are gone. I think centers now are a complimentary piece. You need a small forward, maybe a good guard, but those days where you can just toss it in there and let him get 30 points a game are, are kind of gone. And I think centers like Joel Embiid, we've seen he's got the talent to do that, to put up big numbers. I think he had a game against um, Miami Heat. Again, we've seen Joel Embiid in the playoffs and it hasn't been enough to get them to the NBA Finals. And I love Joel Embiid. I think he's kind of a throwback big man, but he's nowhere near what Shaq was when he was literally leading the Lakers in the late 90s, early 2000s. So is Shaq right to be hating on all the big men? Because when we watch inside the NBA, Shaq always has jokes for everybody. Uh, calls everybody barbecue chicken, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Shaq, um, Shaq doesn't have much confidence in the uh, today's NBA big man and thinks they're all soft. A lot of people think he's just hating, or is he speaking truth? What do you think? You know, Shaq, hundred ten percent is speaking truth. Is he hating or is he teasing? That's debatable. But definitely, I think. Uh, when Shaq, if you look at Shaq's career compared to the, the big men of today, it's you can't really compare it. No one has numbers close to what he was putting up. And remember, Shaq was making way less money than what those guys were. Uh, we have Embiid making max money. We have uh, other centers making big money for less numbers. That's always been an issue, something for another conversation of uh, guys not producing for what they're, they're getting paid. Let's move over to um, your boy. CJ McCollum, uh, again, another guy you and I have had a lot of conversations with off air. I'm not the, I'm not a huge McCollum fan. You know what? The man's balling at the moment. CJ McCollum shooting, scoring just over 27 points a night right now. So um, I didn't know he had this in him. Question to you, does CJ McCollum have another gear? Well, as you know, I'm going to be biased. You know, I've loved CJ McCollum since he came out. Guy's got so much talent, crazy handles. I think he's underrated, but I will agree with you. He has underperformed. I feel he's been kind of hovering at that 16, 18 points a game. But with his talent, this guy's got Bradley Beal in him. He's got, you know, Victor Oladipo in him. Like he's he's talented. He like the two of them together are very very talented, and I feel. This year, we're seeing him up his game. We're seeing him be more assertive on the offensive end and see his numbers reflecting it. Now the question is going to be, is it like you're saying a flash in the pan or can CJ McCollum maintain this level of play? Because he has it in him. I, I Three games where my jaw drops with his step backs, crossovers, beautiful jumper. He just has to put together. And I've said if, if Portland wants to make it, he has to be like, the bat, the Robin to McCollum's Batman. Well, we have to talk about the Ball family. If we're going to be talking about what's happening in the NBA, Lamella Ball. You know what? He he's doing pretty good. So, is he the real deal? What are your thoughts early on about the young rookie playing for the Charlotte Hornets? Right now, to the rookies drafted, he is must see TV. I do find myself watching Charlotte Hornets games more just to watch and see what he does. Definitely out of the Ball Brothers, the best right now. Uh, court vision, um, leadership, 
shooting, even looks the, the shooting is just uh, that's just the balls for you. But again, he's <laughs> he's shooting a decent clip, and uh, Charlotte is winning games and he is contributing. I think he's going to win Rookie of the Year. I, I honestly okay. think so. Right now, it's right. his to lose unless Anthony Edwards makes a you know dramatic uh, turnaround. But right now, Ball is the the real deal. Well, you know, I'm very surprised with how efficient he is right now and how well-rounded he is for a rookie. So he's doing a great job. Anthony Edwards, as you just alluded to, could could win the award, but he's having a tough time rebounding and getting assists. And truthfully, he's not even scoring all that much. Lamelo, he's yeah, he's he's scoring, he's rebounding, he's finding his teammates. He's doing a great job, and they're keeping his minutes low. A great great thing to be doing for a rookie is having a play against other teams second units and they're taking advantage of that so he's right now i'd have to say living up to the hype and his dad has been pretty quiet for the most part so <laughs> that's probably helped okay the team near and dear to our hearts the toronto raptors are kyle larry's days in toronto done what are your thoughts oh kyle larry love this man he is the heart and soul of toronto but if I'm being open and honest with myself, I think his days are done in Toronto. They've drafted a young rookie named Makai Flynn, who's on the bench right now, who in the preseason I thought was very, uh, showed a lot of savvy and, and a, a really good skill set of shooting and passing. Laurie is out of shape this year, in my opinion. Um, he's not impacting the winning. He's getting the like, top minutes still, but they're not winning. Toronto is, I think, for sure below 500 right now. I think right now he'd be great in a contender. I think Toronto looks look to do a rebuild and uh, let Van Fleet take over the team and Siakam and let Kyle Lowry, you know, uh, kind of sell off into the sunset with another team. Kyle Lowry, he's in the last year of his contract. They do have some pieces behind him and Toronto has lots of cap space for next year. So it's really interesting. I wish I could be a fly in the wall and uh, hear the kind of conversations that Messiah is having. Because obviously this team doesn't attract free agents, but they do a great job of trading for players and trading uh, for draft picks. So Kyle Lowry could be used as a chip to bring in some new talent to the ball club. Well, that's a wrap. Mike, thanks for being on the show, man. Big brother helping out little brother as always. Very much appreciated. Great job with the show, Isaac. Thanks for having me on.